he slammed me up against the wall and he had his hands around my throat. Um, and I, I was, I was the most scared I had ever been in my life at that point because I did not think that he was going to stop. Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Making a Way. I'm Sandra Guzman-Salvato, your host, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Monica Moreira. Hi, I'm Monica Moreira, the co-host. I manage Ms. Guzman's law firm, and I come from a background of domestic violence that has led me to help and encourage women to get out of this lifestyle. I'm a family law attorney, mediator, and parent coordinator here in Maryland. I have been practicing family law for over 10 years exclusively. So I started this podcast because I believe that because we all go through some pretty dark times in our lives, sometimes we know we have family or friends or colleagues that we can talk to, but sometimes we don't. And we don't because maybe we have some sort of fear, fear of judgment. There's some stigma attached to whatever it is or just um, don't want to. Um, So I think that my goal for this podcast is for um, people to tell their stories um, and then tell us how they got through the situation. Um, I will bring in people that have helped um, the person get through their issue, and then I will tie it all together uh, with some legal analyst or expert, um, if if I may, Um, If there is a legal aspect of it, of course, not everything has a legal solution or an option. However, I think that there are many different ways to get through a situation. And that's why this is called making a way, because there are many different ways. You just need one to get out of the situation. So without further ado, I will go ahead and introduce Jess. Hi, Jess. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I think that it is tough, but I think that if only one person could listen to you and hear how you overcame this situation, I think that you would be doing a great service. Also would like to welcome Aaron and Chantel Hollander. Could you please tell us a little bit about you? My name is Aaron Hollander. I own Krav Oz, a self-defense school in Montgomery County, Maryland, where we've been teaching self-defense to people of all walks for uh, years and years at this point, uh, and my wife, Chantel, as well. Yeah, hi, thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Um, you know, along with Aaron, we, we run a self-defense school. We teach people on a regular basis. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I also do is run our women's self-defense program. I'm really passionate about that. We, we run programs, you know, for uh, local, you know, community members, as well as, uh, you know, several area universities. Um, I run their, their women's self-defense programs. And so I'm excited to, uh, you know, talk with Jess a little bit more about some of these things. So thank you for having us. Of course, you're welcome. And now uh, we have Jessica Zarella. Hi, good morning, Sandra. Thank you for having me. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Jessica Zarella. I'm a uh, former assistant state's attorney from Montgomery County turned criminal defense attorney and family law practitioner uh, here in Montgomery County. I handle a lot of domestic violence cases representing both petitioners and respondents. So I'm happy to talk um, with everybody sort of through the lens of Jess's experience about resources um, that are available to you and um, sort of a how to on how to proceed um, with a protective order, what your rights are 
in um, the way you can really present your best case to help you get out of these types of situations. Thank you so much. Okay, Jess, so how did you meet this person? I mean, I'd like to start from the beginning um, because I think that sometimes when we meet people, you know, they say we meet their representative. We don't always get, you know, their best self. I mean, we get their best self at the very beginning. So we sort of want to take um, people to that place. Um, can you tell me how you met this person? Uh, yes, it was actually, um, I met him about three or four months after I had been raped. Um, and so I was, I was in a, a delicate place in my life. And I actually met him at a party that I went to with uh, a friend of mine. Um, and he, he seemed very nice and I fell for it. (laughs) What attracted you to him? Like what, what about him stood out to you? Um, He was handsome. He was, you know, well-spoken. He pretty much catered to me um, in that moment. And, you know, when we, during the first few months of our relationship. um, So he, you know, drew me in. So. Okay. Tell me what the first, th- I would say maybe six months, right? Were you dating for six months or so? Yes, uh, we dated. And uh, within the first three months of dating, he had ended up getting kicked out of uh, the house that he was in. And um, I invited him, you know, to come and stay in my apartment. And so he moved in really fast after we, we started dating, which is not something that I would normally do. Um, and then, you know, it was little things that he would start doing, um, like one instance where he refused to come and pick me up, um, even though he knew I was lost in a, a new city. And um, he was not doing anything. He was a few blocks away, and he just absolutely refused to to come and pick me up um, so that I I wouldn't remain lost. Okay, so what Um, did you think? I mean, that was at the very close to the very beginning of your relationship, I imagine, correct? Yeah. Okay. So what did you how did you dismiss this? I mean, I imagine you dismissed it. What did you think of this? Um, actually at that point I decided that I was done. Um, I didn't want to be treated like that. And I actually ended the relationship at that point. Um, but he kept talking to me. He kept calling me. He wouldn't leave me alone. And I decided to give him another chance. By the time we had been dating for six months, I found out that, uh, he had cheated on me. And, um, you know, we, we thought about that and I decided yet again that I was done in the relationship and I kicked him out. And once again, he continued coming back and, and telling me he's, he was so sorry. Um, he didn't mean to do it, you know, and, and he drew me back in once again within, um, I think about nine months after we had started dating, um, I found out that I was pregnant and he convinced me, um, that we weren't ready, that we couldn't handle, handle a child and convinced me to, uh, get an abortion, which we did, um, nine months after we had met, um, we had the abortion. How did it go after that? 
Um, that caused more issues in our relationship. We, we began fighting a lot more. Um, and that's when it really started escalating um, as far as the verbal abuse. Um, and at that point, it, the, the sexual abuse um, began to get a lot more prevalent in our relationship. And he would not stop when I asked him to stop when he was hurting me. And he also would, um, wouldn't take no for an answer um, when he wanted. What, what kinds of things were you arguing about? Anything, um, mostly about his drinking. Um, he did drink a lot. And um, so a lot of the time it was mostly because he was drunk and something just set him off. It didn't have to be anything specific. Okay. Now, during all this time, where was your family? They lived about 45 minutes from us, um, but they really... I, I kept them away. I mean, I, I talked to them on the phone, but they really didn't come to visit me. Um, and when we would go to visit them, you know, we would be on our best behavior. And, and I, I wouldn't open up to them about this because I was ashamed that, you know, I was in a relationship that was going like this. Let's talk about you growing up. Did you grow up in this type of environment yourself? I didn't. I grew up, my mom uh, raised us. Uh, we, She had three girls. She raised us, raised us by herself. And um, my dad was an alcoholic. Um, and But he, he lived about two hours away. Um, so we really didn't see him that much. So you didn't talk about it to your family. How about your friends or maybe uh, your colleagues? Did you talk to anyone about this? No, I mean, at the time that I was going through all of this um, and it hadn't even gotten violent, really, uh, physically at that point. Um, and I, I was kind of just telling myself that it was normal, that it was just a relationship that, you know, people go through these things, that it's normal. Um, so I, I would vent to people, my friends and, and stuff, um, about like little fights, but I, I wouldn't tell them about the more, you know, the worst things that were going on. So tell me about, um, how bad it, it got for you when that occurred and how that occurred. Um, there was, a, a incident where we were arguing and we were sitting on the couch. Um, and he, he liked to, to scream in my face a lot. That was something that he always did. And, um, in this situation, we were sitting on the couch and he was screaming in my face and he was so close to me. And I felt so overwhelmed that my first instinct was to slap him in the face to get him to back off. And he flew into a rage and he slammed me up against the wall and he had his hands around my throat. Um, and I, I was, I was the most scared I had ever been in my life at that point because I did not think that he was going to stop. Um, but luckily he did. Um, he, you know, shook his head and I think he's like got himself out of this, 
um, what a, a trance that he was in. Um, and he finally let go and, and backed off. So something that Jess mentioned is that her abuser choked her and strangled her. And she had um, she talked about the fact that she never thought it was going to end. She never thought he was going to let go. That is also something extremely, extremely common um, in domestic violence. And in fact, um, violent choking is almost entirely confined to fatal domestic attacks on women. Um, fewer than one percent of all homicides nationwide result from strangulation. But uh, over six percent of women who are killed by their intimate partners die in this manner. Um, and that that's a statistic that's a really uh, relatively well known was reported last fall um, in an article on domestic violence in the Washington Post. Um, and it really is something that is a harbinger of homicide and a harbinger of um, a relationship um, where there is a high probability of fatality um, with domestic violence. And when I do work in court and defend um, petitioners and strangulation comes up and it comes up often, that is a statistic that I highlight to the judge because I believe it is very, very important to make judges aware of just how serious and just how violent these relationships can be. What did you do after that? I left and I, I went to work. Um, I, I didn't tell anybody. I was, I was so shocked that it happened. And, you know, he kept calling me all day, um, apologizing and um, telling me that he would never do it again. He was so sorry that he just lost control. Um, and I ended up going home that night and, you know, he was so nice and he kept doing stuff to, you know, try to make me believe that it was, you know, a one-time thing and he would never do it again. Okay. So was it a one-time thing? It was not. No. So, so um, tell me about other incidents that occurred. Um, there was one incident um, back in 2008. We found out um, that we were pregnant again. And um, I told him that I was keeping the baby. I didn't care what he said, um, that I, I would not have another abortion. And um, so... I went through the, the entire pregnancy and um, at one point when I was seven months pregnant, um, he came home from work very drunk and he was in a very argumentative mood and um, he ended up, we were fighting and he ended up chasing me into the bedroom and he was screaming at me and I, I got on the bed and I backed all the way up to the wall and um, he came right up to me, got right in my face and, and continued screaming at me. And um, it got so bad that I ended up having a, a panic attack, a full blown panic attack. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, you know, function. I, I thought, you know, I'm either going to lose this baby or you know, we are both going to die because I could not breathe. Um, and within a week of that happening, I began having contractions um, and ended up on, on bed rest for the, the remainder of the pregnancy. Okay. So tell me about um, the last time, like the last straw. What, when were you done? 
I was done when, um, at four years old, my son began to um, act the same way as my ex, and um, he would physically hurt me. Um, he would bite me, kick me, punch me. Um, some of the things that he would say, it sounded exactly like his father, and um so there was one day where um, he was standing at the, the sink doing dishes and I was, you know, walking around the house, cleaning other things up. And he was screaming at me throughout the entire house as he was doing the dishes and he was calling me names and he was, you know, insulting me and right in front of our son and after having seen my son begin to exhibit this behavior, um, when he did that and he was calling me names and everything, I decided that I was done. I, I no longer wanted him in the house and I wanted peace for our son and myself. Um, and I asked him to leave and he did. Uh, a week later, um, I was completely shocked because I had asked him to leave before and he refused. Um, and there were times where I moved out with our son, um, two times actually. And each time he asked us to come back and, and we did. Um, so when I asked him to leave, I think that he was expecting it to just be a couple weeks. Um, and he ended up telling me a couple years later after he moved out that if he had known that I was going to remain strong and not let him come back, that he never would have moved out in the first place. So I just want to highlight a very important aspect about how our children are also being um, destroyed in this kind of relationship. Sometimes we believe that it's only us who are being affected, but we don't realize that our children are imitating the behavior that uh, their parents are doing. Um, Jessica did mention before that her son started uh, reciprocating this behavior, and it's the same experience that I had with my son, uh, to a point that my mother, when she saw that, um, he was hitting me, hurting me with his words, and all I did was just go to a corner and cry. Um, she decided that the best thing was to take him away from me for a few months so he will get psychological help and I will get the psychological help that I needed as well. And this is just a reparative behavior that I saw in my ex-husband as well. His father used to abuse of his mother. Uh, he used to try to go and defend his mom, but then at the end, his dad used to hurt him. So he was raised in that environment. He ended up basically just becoming who his father was. It is very important for us to stop this cycle of violence. Okay, so tell me about where you um, got that strength. How, how did you overcome this? Um, well, I had actually just started a, a new job um, about two months before I asked him to move out. And the place that I had began working was a mixed martial arts store. Um, they sold martial arts equipment and the owner of the company was a small company. Um, the owner was a mixed martial artist 
and he trained in Muay Thai and he was a big, big man. (laughs) And I knew that he had my back. Um, and that, you know, if I needed anything, I, I could contact him. Um, so it was, you know, family, um, the support of family and everybody telling me that, you know, you can do this on your own. And the other part that, you know, if I need somebody to help me to, you know, defend myself against him, I can contact my boss. Okay, so did you start training? I did. Um, about four months after um, my ex moved out and I had started this job, um, they started offering the classes to the employees again. And so I started taking Muay Thai and I trained in that for two years. Um, but about a month after I started taking the, the classes, um, he, my ex, um, had come over to see our son and he was still, he would try to, to still intimidate me physically and, and, you know, verbally he he would be nasty to me. Um, so after I started taking these classes, he did something, he motioned to me and I was like, Oh, do you, do you want me to show you what I've learned so far? And he was like, yeah, yeah, let's see it. Um, so I, I threw a punch at his hand. He held his hand up. And then right after I threw the punch, I threw a kick to his leg and he wasn't ready for that one. And he backed up and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a lot and, you know, how to defend myself. And, um, and from that point on, he did not try anything else physically. He kept his distance from me. That must've been a great feeling. Um, oh my God! I, so <laughs> I mean, can you describe that feeling for us? Uh, um, I, like I, my heart swelled because I, I finally could defend myself, and mm-hmm. I finally that feeling of he knows now that he can no longer hurt me. Um, it was it was such a release from the jail that he had held me in for so long. Wow. Well, that's a great story. I mean, that feeling has stayed with you. I, I assume you, you feel that yeah. way now in situations where before maybe you felt like powerless. Right. Yes. I feel like, um, at this point I can accomplish anything. And, um, you know, over the years, I, for the first like four years, he kind of still held a power over me. Um, but over the last year to two years, I have, I have stood up to him. I have, um, I have taught my son that, you know, you can still respect your father. You can still listen to him, but you can still stand up to him when he is yelling at you, when he is calling you names, when he, you know, tries physically. Um, and my son actually takes karate now for the last year and he has actually had to use unfortunately um blocking techniques on his dad um to defend himself wow thank you for sharing that story i don't know if um you know jessica or monica or aaron or chantelle have any questions um that they would like to ask jess i do jess um 
Hearing your story is very powerful. I am wondering, did he ever make you feel guilty that it was your fault, that the way he was acting was because of situations that you were doing? Absolutely. He always tried to to blame me and and put it on me. Um, And that guilt lasted for a while, even after the relationship ended, um, because he had twisted my mind up so much. Jess, this is Chantel. Um, You know, I thank you so much for sharing such a powerful story and, and having the courage to, you know, join everybody here and share your story with with the public, I think it can really, you know, hopefully help a lot of other women out there going through through similar things. Um, I wanted to explore a little bit. You had talked about that very first um, time when you were lost in the city and, you know, he didn't want to pick you up. You said that you mm-hmm. just, you know, like that was sort of a moment for you. And then something yeah. happened and, and you ended up coming back that that guilt, I think, that, that Monica kind of mentioned and this idea mm-hmm. of, you, it sounds like you had this initial first instinct of this isn't a good guy. And then yes. for whatever reason, you know, he sort of got into your head and convinced you, you know, otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me because, you know, one of the, one of the things that we do is, is we see that women so often, uh, you know, we doubt ourselves, you know, we feel something, we mm-hmm. see something and we, we then doubt ourselves because we don't want to, maybe incite more violence or more anger or, you know, um, is that something that you felt like he caused on other times for you to doubt yourself? I would imagine that you probably felt that similar feeling again at other points in the relationship and thought this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't normal. This isn't. And then again, doubted. Yeah. yeah. And um, he not only used guilt um, as far as like, you know, his behavior, but he also used his past, um, and his, his mother had died when he was eight years old and his father was never in the picture. Um, so he used that a lot and he blamed a lot of his behavior on, you know, a rough upbringing. Um, so it was it was a double whammy when he would use that together. I'd like to now turn to Aaron and Chantel. Jess just explained that some training helped her. So what do you guys do? Yeah, sure. So absolutely. So. We uh, own a school right now. We're up in Clarksburg, Maryland. Uh, very shortly, we'll be moving down into Germantown into our own location. Uh, we've been sort of bouncing around as we uh, build out our own space. What we teach is primarily Krav Maga, which is Israeli Defense Force hand-to-hand combat. Um, it's designed originally to get people through the system as fast as possible so that people can become as effective as possible at defending themselves We've sort of broadened out away from there, and we've included other elements outside of sort of this traditional Krav Maga. We do uh, a lot of work, a lot of work with partners. We do a lot of building up of people, uh, a lot of strength training. You know, our our motto, and I think this is sort of what we do, our motto is your strength, your fight. And, you know, unfortunately, we've had people who have similar similar stories to Jess who have had to come in and talk to us. And, you know, we've been more than happy to, to work with them and, and give them what they need. But really where we find ourselves is that the strength that we provide and the strength that Jess relayed in her story as she started to take these lessons and found that that confidence back in her rediscover herself is something that we try to give to people, whether it's family relationships, whether it's professional relationships or, or things going on, that we all have this strength within ourselves. 
in the way that we train, we try to show people how much they have within them that already exists. It's already there. It may have been buried over, you know, uh, years or months worth of, of other practices, but they can uncover how strong people really, really are. And that's, that I think is at the crux of what we really do and what we really try to bring to the table for people. As we move into our new location that I, I mentioned before, we're going to go from a total of 11 classes a week, which is both adults and children, to 32 so we're really expanding things out, and we're, we're going to be focusing on some really specific areas, grappling and wrestling, um, introduction to sparring, fighting with weapons, things like that, things to really give people the ability and the knowledge to actually defend themselves across almost any aspect where the fight can go. Right now, what we are doing is all of our prices are under $100 a month. We typically run on a contract basis, 12-month contracts, um, because we really do believe in people investing in themselves to be able to get what they need out of it. You know, this isn't something that you do it for a month and you're, you're amazing at it. This isn't a, you do it for three months and you're amazing at it. This is a lifetime pursuit. I myself have been training self-defense martial arts for 25 odd years at this point, And I'm still learning every single day, you know, from, from anybody. So uh, what we do is, is really just a, a, we try to make it as much of a service to the community as we can. And from a woman's perspective, Chantel, have you had the opportunity to meet women like Jess come to you? And what do you say to them? You know, I've been really privileged to meet so many courageous, brave women in this community and area who have gone through tragically very similar stories to Jess. And, you know, really through this physical training, finding that strength from the inside out, it's it's amazing to just be a small part of that. And we have quite literally seen people transform before us on the mat, just that continued training and realizing, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm more capable than I realized or than I thought, you know, one of my, one of my big sort of pet peeves is, is, um, you know, we don't empower people and, and specifically women. I do not, when I teach these seminars, I am not there to empower anyone because that implies that there's something that I have that can gift or grant you or give you something that you didn't already have. And that's, simply not the case. You already have that. Just like Jess, you know, Jess, you had that deep down inside of you. Your Muay Thai coach helped you dig a little deeper and and discover a side of yourself that you, you know, maybe didn't realize was there, but you had everything that you needed to be able to, to become that, that survivor and be strong. And I think it's so cool. I love that you shared, you know, that moment where he held up his hand and you showed him the punch because what you did in that moment, uh, you know, is, is you turned that predator prey mentality around. You showed him mm-hmm. I'm strong and I'm capable and I'm not afraid. I can do yep. this. And and you had that with you all along and, and through your training. I think it's so cool that you just discovered you didn't create it. You had it there already. You just discovered this other piece of yourself. So I, I think that's amazing that, that that happened. But I, you know, I've seen that with with other women as well. And it's an amazing thing to see that transformation. I mean, I think that sometimes people, you know, have it within themselves to do something about their situation. But because of fear, they don't see it maybe or they don't feel it yet. Right. But um, I think that that's why, you know, we do what we do is because um, we can help someone, you know, see some kind of light. Um, So with that, I'll move to Jessica Zarella. Um, You know, another way that I think um, some victims of domestic violence come through this um, situation is through the legal um, field. So Jessica, can you explain a little bit about how someone in 
justice situation can look to a lawyer to help them get through. Um, thanks, Sandy. And I, I also wanted to say thank you to Jess. Um, you, you, the story that you tell is not uncommon in its beginnings. It, it's really a classic example of the cycle of domestic violence. It starts out really great. Um, and then something happens that makes you take pause and say, maybe that this isn't the uh, relationship for me. It goes into something that makes you say, wow, this really is not the relationship for me. But then something happens um, where you said things like he's charming and he told me to um, come back. And I decided to give him another chance because he was so persistent. And then the buildup happens again where you're walking on eggshells and then there's this cataclysmic event again. And then it improves and starts all over. Um, And to go off of what Sandra and Chantel said, there is a time, there is a place, there is that breaking point. Um, And it isn't something that Chantel brings out of you. She just helps you to find it. It's always there. And uh, as Sandra says, there's another person that can help you find it. And that um, can be your lawyer. And a lot of times um, women don't take advantage of the services that are out there for them for domestic violence. One, because they think it's their fault. Two, um, because they don't know they exist. And three, because they think it's really hard to do. Um, And then what if he finds out Um, and those sort of things go on? Um, What is even though the kind of the, the genesis of the domestic violence in your relationship was very usual, One of the things that was very unusual, I think, in my experience as a a former state's attorney, as someone who now defends assault cases and uh, litigates a lot of protective orders, is you asked him to leave and he left. Very, very uncommon. Very uncommon as well um, with a relationship where there's a child. Um, Genuinely and and most often, um, women have to sort of fight for that freedom. Women need kind of a cataclysmic event. They need something that happens um, for them to be able to move on. And um, often what it takes is a protective order. Um, So they'll go to court and they'll try to figure out what the protective order is about. So certainly just like your situation, Jess, um, an assault, any act that places a person in fear, any act that causes serious bodily harm, rape, sexual offense, um, any attempt of sexual offense, stalking, false imprisonment or child abuse, all are legal bases upon which you can go to court to seek a protective order. Protective orders are available between current and former spouses. They're available between people who have lived together in an intimate relationship for the past 90 days that are related by blood, marriage, or adoption, parent, child, step-parent relationship. And there are several other ways, um, but basically any type of sexual relationship, current or former, or having a child in common allows you to avail yourself of the court process um, for a protective order. And you can avail yourself of that process if the abuse occurred here in Maryland, or regardless of where the abuse occurred, if you as a victim or in the domestic violence arena, they're called a person eligible for relief, regardless of where that occurred, even if that occurred outside of the state of Maryland, but you as a victim live in Maryland, you are eligible for protection under the family law article for a uh, domestic violence court order. And a lot of times, Women don't seek these orders because they don't know how or because they think they're hard. But it's actually really, really simple. Um, You can go to a commissioner 24 hours a day in Maryland. They're located in most district courthouses here in Maryland. They're located in the Silver Spring Courthouse or the district courthouse in Rockville. Um, If courts open, you're going to go to the clerk's office, either for the district or the circuit court. You're going to fill out and you're going to say, I want to fill out a petition for protection against domestic violence. 
If the court's open, you're going to fill out your petition. You're immediately going to go uh, and sit in a courtroom, and then you're going to give your testimony in front of the judge. Um, there's three stages of a protective order, interim protective order, temporary protective order, and a final protective order. Interim protective orders are what happens when the court's closed, when you'll go to a commissioner, and they're not a judge. They're kind of, we call them a quasi-judicial officer. You're going to fill out your same petition, and your commissioner most likely will grant your petition right then and there. Um, Your interim petition is ex parte, meaning we don't care if the abuser knows. We don't care if the abuser is there. It just goes based on your word. Within 48 hours, you're going to go to a judge to that temporary uh, protective order hearing. Again, a temporary protective order hearing is heard ex parte. It means we don't care if the abuser's been served and we don't care if he participates. In fact, by law, they're not really allowed to participate. So sometimes they'll be served. Sometimes they'll be there, but their only opportunity is to listen. They're not there to defend at that point. Then within one week, statutorily, you're required to go to your final protective order hearing unless good cause exists. It's very rare to have those hearings outside of one week. That's where it's going to feel more like a mini trial. Um, your uh, the abuser will be there. They will have been served, um, and they may have a lawyer. You may have a lawyer. You both may have a lawyer, and you're going to have a trial. Um, it's going to feel a lot like a trial. There's a lower standard than say a criminal trial. The standard is by a preponderance of evidence. What it just really means is, does the judge believe this probably happened? Is there a reasonable? Does the judge have a reasonable belief that that happened? It's a very low standard, and that's really nice for victims like Jess of domestic violence because it's a really low standard to meet, okay? It's a double-edged sword when the legislature a couple years ago reduced that burden of proof from clear and convincing evidence to preponderance of evidence because it helped genuine victims be able to more easily get a protective order with less substantial burdens of proof. Uh, The downside is that it more easily allows people to manufacture the grounds for a protective order. And that's not just women, men, plenty of people come in and manufacture grounds for a protective order. And a lot of the reasons for doing it is not to flee domestic violence, but because there really is a lot of great protection that a protective order um, allows you to have. Um, There's a lot of different things, the relief that's available. And a lot of that relief can be parlayed into what's coming down the road, uh, a divorce case or a custody case. And it gives you a leg up in that divorce case or that custody case. Some relief that you can ask for as a petitioner and protective order is that your abuser have no contact with you, that they have no harassing contact with you, that they stay away from your child's school, your job, your home, uh, your child's caretaker, provider, a daycare. Um, They can force your abuser to leave the home um, if you're married, if you're not married, you're still eligible for that relief as long as your le- your name is on the lease or as long as you've lived with that person um, for 90 days in the past calendar year. So you don't have to be married. You can be renting an apartment. You're still available for the relief to have the abuser leave that situation. Um, if you have children in common, you are also eligible for temporary custody and access. So you're setting yourselves up with an order. Um, you're also eligible for family support. If you have a child in common, Um, the court can set you up with possession of a car that your abuser would have to pay for as long as it's jointly titled. You can also claim possession of a pet under a protective order Um, and they're lengthy. Okay, they can go for up to one year. The court doesn't have to grant them for up to one year, but that's the normal time period. 
and the violation for violating a protective order is fairly serious. It is a criminal penalty, which exposes you up to 90 days in jail. So there are a lot of really great sources of relief that are given from a protective order, um, which are reasons why um, they're very advantageous for victims like Jess who have actual documented domestic violence. Um, But those are the same double-edged sword, many reasons why people may manufacture um, domestic violence to be able to get some of these services in advance, where otherwise a lot of these things, you'd have to go through a lengthy custody case, a divorce case, or a criminal case to get the same relief. I know you did mention temporary relief and for us who have actually experienced this, our biggest fear is, can I actually step out and be able to support myself or support my child? Like, it's my budget or the income that I'm actually, you know, making right now is going to be sufficient for me to be able to support because most of us are living, you know, married for a long time and accustomed to a certain lifestyle. Um, are there any specific programs that you know of that are there to open, that are open for women to just, you know, reach out and be calm and know that they can be helped? So, you know, we're fortunate here in Montgomery County to have very comprehensive countywide services um, that are available. And Monica, you know, it, Right off the bat, I'm not thinking of anything specific that offers support, but the court can offer and most often does offer support when there are children involved. But there are a lot of great resources here in Montgomery County for people to take advantage of. Um, And the main being um, the Family Justice Center, Um, Family Justice Center uh, located at uh, 600 Jefferson Plaza, Suite 500 in Rockville, 20852. Their main number is 240-773-0444. You can also call their crisis line 24 hours a day, 240-777-4000. And they're open Monday to Friday from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. And the FJC, or the Family Justice Center, is really a one-stop shop for comprehensive services in Montgomery County. Um, It's a best practice model combating domestic violence, sexual abuse, and child abuse. Partnered with the Special Victims Division for the state's attorney's office, full staff of attorneys, victim co-witness coordinators, sheriffs, detectives, police investigators, social workers, people from the abused persons program, specially trained prosecutors, and victim witness coordinators who handle nothing but these types of cases. And you can go to the FJC um, right in downtown Rockville and get essentially what's called a free comprehensive needs assessment. Um, They'll talk to you about initiating protective order services. They'll talk to you about legal services, counseling services, Safe Start, which is a specific program funded by the county, um, again, on a sliding scale for participation for children of partners of domestic violence. So children like Jess's son who um, witnessed this going on between mom and dad, um, a very comprehensive uh, counseling program, most very often ordered by the court for participation in uh, divorce and custody cases where there are domestic violence. But you can get information about Safe Start at the FJC. Emergency services can be offered, investigative services, short and long term, and then child support enforcement. So, Monica, one of those things you're talking about, right? If I leave, who's going to support my child? How am I ever going to afford an attorney to get him to pay me child support? Well, child support enforcement can do that for you. 
hand in hand with the FJC is another organization called DVS, Domestic Violence Survivors. Um, it's another, um, it's a private uh, partnership within uh, Montgomery County and the FJC, um, funded by seed money from um, some very talented women, Donna Rissmiller, Rissmiller Law Group. Um, she funds that entire program. They are located in the FJC, the same place. Their phone number, 240-773-0449. The director of that service is Amy Palumbo, um, and they do comprehensive legal services for victims of domestic violence for free or for reduced rates. And what they have is attorney, staff attorneys, and then they have volunteer attorneys. And I actually volunteer as an attorney for DVS and handle protective orders for petitioners on what's called a low bono basis. But the women aren't paying anything for the service or they're paying very little for the service. And then um, through uh, Donna and Amy's efforts, once you come through that process, um, either with a staff lawyer or a volunteer lawyer for the protective order, they can also help you parlay that into divorce and custody uh, legal representation on either free or reduced scale. They have Spanish-speaking attorneys on staff, so don't any any if anyone think that if that is an issue, they certainly um, have services that can offer there. They partner with the House of Ruth and other local attorneys um, for again that sliding scale, and they also. Um, work hand-in-hand with what's called APP, the Abused Persons Program, which is a uh, county and state program that provides volunteers that reach out to every petitioner that files a petition for domestic violence in Montgomery County. They call you. They tell you what your rights are. They tell you about the FJC. They tell you about DVS. They tell you where your court case is, what time, what time to be there, um, where the metro is, all these things that make it so hard for women um, to think that they have an uphill battle. Well, what time does court start? Well, I don't even know if I'm in the right court. Well, I don't know how to get there. What if he took the car? You know, how can I get there? Um, sometimes they'll provide um, cabs, okay, or metro fare. Sometimes they can provide victims with cell phones, okay? A lot of times women are fleeing the home. Men take the cell phone because that's their lifeline. They will provide uh, FJC. DVS will provide cell phones for victims of domestic violence. The volunteers from APP make sure that petitioners like Jess would know where to go to court, what time to be there. They stay with them in court to make sure that their abuser or their harasser is not trying to take them into the hallway and convince them to drop their charges. And they will even come up with you and stand with you in front of the judge as support. Um, And then they help with DVS to screen people to get you to either a staff or volunteer attorney um, to help you Um, make sure that you know all your rights and can stay strong throughout the process. Thank you so much, Jessica, for all those resources. I think that that's one of the um, reasons maybe some victims stay um, in the relationship is because they don't know where to go. They don't know who to talk to. And now I think that, you know, that is very helpful. There's lots of resources, lots of volunteers. There are people out there that care about, um, you know, victims' welfare and helping people. I don't think that there's anyone that I know of, including myself, um, that has reached goals or, or gotten to a different place in my life without someone. Someone has, oh, I mean, if you think you've done it by yourself alone without the help of anyone, it, you know, you really have to dig deeper because I think that um, we are here to help people. And, um, you know, as you can 
as you've, you've heard, Jessica here actually volunteers her time. She has her own law office, um, and it's doing really well. And she's a private practitioner, but she finds it in herself to go and volunteer her time and do this on a low bono or pro bono basis. Um, so just remember that it will get extremely tough um, before it gets better. Thank you for listening, and I will be doing another podcast on a different topic and hope that you listen to that. Thank you.